Hey, what's up? Welcome to DMD Exploring the 80s. The Hardcore Kids Journey Through the Terrorizer Top 100. Most important albums of the decade that created extreme music. That's what I'm calling it anyway. That decade, of course, is the 1980s. And I am the aforementioned Hardcore Kid. My name is Vince. I'm taking you on a journey through some albums that I may or may not have talked about before. Trying to see how extreme music... The genesis of extreme music kind of played out throughout the 1980s from the new wave of British heavy metal to grindcore, noise rock, death metal, whatever the fuck. And yeah, making a bunch of stops along the way. I don't know why this intro was longer than it normally was today. But, hey man, got a lot on my mind, I guess. Today we're talking about an album that I got when I was a kid. And that's because I had some friends who were like way into this shit. But aside from, you know, two or three bangers on this record, I never really got into it. I don't know why. Maybe it was a little bit too theatrical or perhaps just a little too extreme with the speed and the technicality for me. That record is Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. And this record, we've had two Iron Maiden records on the podcast so far. This is the third record. And it's a big step up in terms of technical proficiency from the first two records. And generally what was going on around it, even in the new wave of British heavy metal scene, where there were some real players. The solos on this record are a lot more extreme. There's tapping, for example, on the song Children of the Damned. That was just one of the things that feels like the guitar players kind of started playing a hell of a lot faster when they were soloing. And, of course, this is also the first Iron Maiden record to feature... Bruce Dickinson, who is the band's most famous vocalist. And, you know, he's got that wide-ranging voice, much higher high notes than the previous guy, Paul Diano. And I think the rest of the band is kind of matching his swagger. We got our man Steve Harris shredding on bass. You know, he was doing that on the last record, but, like, I think it's a little bit faster on this one. I think everybody on this record is playing a little bit faster. And I think at this point in 1982, when this record comes out on EMI Records, thrash metal is basically on the cusp of existence. But just in case they needed any inspiration for how fast to play, this Iron Maiden record is as fast as anything. that would come out in the extreme metal scene until basically four or five years later when man started using blast beats and shit. And I think the song arrangements on this record are also a bit more complicated than the first few Iron Maiden records, as well as the records of their contemporaries. There's a lot of different riffs on this shit, a lot of key changes, a little bit more melody on this one in terms of like guitar harmonies and stuff like that. And... You know, I 
kind of look back to this band's contemporaries. One band that I think was kind of going for something like this was Angel Witch on their self-titled record in 1980, but maybe or probably didn't have the chops to pull it off quite like Iron Maiden did on this record because Number of the Beast is very slick from a production standpoint. It's got that like of the time kind of 80s production that might not hold up for some years, but definitely works well for what the band is trying to do, which is sound theatrical and operatic, but at the same time, heavy and extreme. And like, you know, maybe not so heavy and extreme compared to death metal. <laughs> but for 1982, this was probably the heaviest shit that people could imagine unless they were like listening to Venom records. You know what I mean? The heaviest thing you could probably imagine that might make it onto the radio. And the fact that this record came out on a major label, EMI, probably has a lot to do with how professional it sounds compared to some of the other stuff of the era, like that Angel Witch record, for example, which I think from a compositional standpoint is going for some of the same ideas, but Iron Maiden, because they're better players and because they have a higher budget for recording, is really able to kind of realize that vision and also another reason they could pull this off while their contemporaries couldn't have is Bruce Dickinson's voice and he really has the chops to keep up with how ambitious the music is here I think the song The Prisoner is where that really shines for me because when he starts wailing on that song that's when the song kind of comes together like, you need a set of pipes to really make that song work. And I don't think that anyone else in the scene at the time could really hit those kind of fucking notes. Maybe Rob Halford could. I don't know. We're going to have to wait until probably next week to hear another Judas Priest record and see what Rob Halford was up to. But Lemmy wasn't hitting that. The guy from Angel Witch wasn't hitting that. The guy from Diamond Head wasn't hitting that. So Bruce Dickinson really put Iron Maiden in another stratosphere in terms of what they could do from this sort of like soaring, operatic, theatrical perspective. And that kind of like progressive structure to the songs, I think it's ahead of its time. And I think this record kind of provides a template for what bands would do once they were able to be this technical. I'm thinking of bands like Metallica and bands like Death, where a lot of the other new wave of British heavy metal bands were either devoted to a more verse-chorus-verse kind of a thing, or maybe if they had longer songs, they would get in the vein of Led Zeppelin where they have, you know, three major movements that are really repetitive. This Iron Maiden stuff has a lot of different riffs and different parts, and sometimes it slows down, sometimes it gets a bit proggy, but it always feels pretty up-tempo, and even the mid-tempo, slower kind of parts on here 
they are either leading to something quick or they're even faster. Like it's not, you know, candle mass. It's not even like Led Zeppelin kind of like, you know, dazed and confused kind of slow. It's not really plotting. It's just kind of like building up into something else that's faster. And some of the songs on here, like 22 Acacia Avenue, remind me of things like the record Human by Death or like Master of Puppets or something because it kind of weaves in between this ripping, fast, heavy metal into these weird, unconventional scales that kind of require a solid amount of music knowledge to pull off a transition like that. And I don't really think there was anyone doing it quite like that at the time. And it wasn't until the extreme musicians, Chuck Schuldner, the Metallica dudes, got bored of playing the most ugly music imaginable that they would try some stuff like Iron Maiden was approaching on this record. So, yeah, I think it's way ahead of its time in terms of the structural elements of this stuff. My favorite songs on this record, the song Children of the Damned, I love how it starts, kind of teases you with this like creepy slow part. On the last record, Killers, I kind of remarked how I enjoyed that there wasn't any real slow shit on there. It's all kind of go, go, go. But this song, Children of the Dam, starts slow and then crescendos into this really heavy, ass-beating song. The song Number of the Beast is such a good guitar track. The riffs on that shit rip, man. Such an awesome chorus. Such a great vocal performance. It's just an all-time great metal song. And then the song Hallowed Be Thy Name, an epic way to close out an album. You know, have me headbanging and pumping my fists in my bedroom while I was listening to that shit. So that's a banger. My final thoughts on the record. Rest in peace to my homie Joel Fletcher who put me onto this band in high school. He was a real one. Iron Maiden was his favorite band and he was talking about them one day and I was like, yeah, yeah, oh bro, I like Iron Maiden. Yeah, and then he's like, okay, but name one Iron Maiden song and just shut me right the fuck up. And then I <laughs> had to go, you know, get the album and check it out after that. So I wasn't the biggest poser in the whole fucking world. This music has never really been my shit personally, but listening to Number of the Beast today it's undeniably very high quality and undoubtedly very influential on stuff that people were still trying to catch up to 10 years later. So I want to dedicate this episode to my friend Joel, who passed away a while ago, and to his family, who were always super cool to me. So, yeah, you'll never hear this, bud, but I'm thinking of you. That was Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. So check back in next week. And we're doing another new wave of British heavy metal record. Like I predicted, it's a Judas Priest record. So we're going to go side by side and see how these bands were stacking up neck and neck. I'm pretty interested to see if Judas Priest kicked up the level of technicality between British Steel and the record that we're going to talk about next week. So I'll see you guys then. Bye.